Hello, and welcome to the Hudson Mohawk Magazine, broadcasting from the Sanctuary for Independent Media in Troy, New York, on the unceded homelands of the Mohican people, known today as the Stockbridge-Munsee community. I'm Sina Bazilahickey. And I'm Vinny Damapolito. Today on the, Hudson Mo- on the Hudson Mohawk Magazine, we begin with Mark Dunley and Liz Moran of Earth Justice to dis- discussing Governor Hochul's proposed budget impacts on environmental issues. Then, Willie Terry will be sharing MLK birthday celebrations from the Troy Boys and Girls Club. Later on, Donnie Skipper will be joining us for a live interview to, dis- to discuss his tenant advocacy in the area. After that, Briar Barthel sat down with Ian Hayek Hauk. Hauk, <laughs> of the Troy Public Library to get book recommendations for this month. And finally, we will hear from Impact about the Friday performance of Poetry and Fairy Tale. But first, here are the headlines. Channel 13 reports on Wednesday evening that the Mohawk Hudson Humane Society removed more than 100 animals in deplorable conditions from Empathy Animal Rescue, Inc. on Baker Avenue in the city of Cohoes. More than a dozen dead animals were also found at the unregistered rescue organization, which started in 2022. As New York experiences a new wave of COVID-19 and flu cases, area hospitals are changing their visitation policies. Visitors are encouraged to wear masks, and children under 12 are not permitted to visit as viruses are more common among young children. The town of Nassau plans to enact a local tax exemption to conserve the town's grasslands to protect the environment and wildlife, support small farms, and preserve scenic views. This might be the first time a government, a local government in New York has used tax breaks to protect grasslands. The State Department of Environmental Conservation will be taking public comments until February 1st on the proposal by the village of Hoosick Falls to pump 1 million gallons of water daily from two new wells to replace the wells that were polluted by PFOA chemicals. The DEC uh, reached agreement in May 2023 with St. Gobain Performance Plastics and Honeywell to pay $10 million for the new water supply. The Gazette reports that Schenectady Mayor Gary McCarthy is supporting a proposal to allocate $2.5 million of the City's American Rescue Plan Act, funding towards construction of the proposed hockey arena at Mohawk Harbor, which would be used by the Union College hockey team. Albany County is joining the state's Green Purchasing Communities, or GPC, which seeks to make it easier for local governments to purchase commodities, services, and technology that have a lower environmental impact. And that's it for headlines. For those of you just tuning in, you're listening to Hudson Mohawk Magazine, listener-supported radio that builds community in Troy and the surrounding capital region through broad grassroots participation. Our content is produced by volunteers. To learn how you can contribute, go to mediasanctuary.org, email us at hmm at mediasanctuary.org, or give us a call at 518-272-2390. First up today, Governor Hochul recently proposed a budget for the new year, and to discuss how it will impact environmental issues in New York, Mark Dunley spoke with Liz Moran of Earth Justice. We're joined by Liz Moran, a frequent guest uh, with uh, Earth Justice. 
Earlier this week, the uh, Governor Hochul uh, released her uh, budget for the 2024-2025 cycle. And Liz, what were some of the highlights in terms of environmental uh, issues uh, in the governor's proposals? Yeah, so to set the stage a little bit, this is a really important budget. 2023 was a remarkable year when it came to climate change, particularly here in New York, right? 2023, hottest year in recorded history. Every single month of 2023 was a hot, the hottest month ever recorded. And in New York, we had uh, smoke from wildfires in Canada, we, you know, air that was hard to breathe in uh, for, you know, weeks. Uh, and I remember actually when the legislature was in the final days, if you sat up there on the third floor of the assembly and looked out, the sky was all these weird colors from all the smoke from uh, Canada. Yeah, exactly. It was so dystopian. And, you know, that wasn't it. We had heat waves. We had unprecedented flooding. Uh, Amtrak uh, and Metro North wasn't working. So people were stranded. Um, So this is some really serious stuff, and people are also facing increased energy bills. So this is a really important year for the governor and the legislature to get this budget right. Thankfully, the governor did include a couple climate policies that are extremely important. Um, However, overall, this is not a budget that the governor's proposed that really reflects the urgency of the crisis. So, uh, you know, one of the issues, um, you know, you got some level of applause, fair amount of applause, was that the governor uh, proposed what's called the uh, New York Heat Act. She included several of the major provisions uh, in it. Um, You want to walk through why that's important and what that actually will do? Yeah, absolutely. So right now, New York state law gives preference towards gas and fossil fuels. Like that is baked into New York state law. But that's kind of that conflict, right? Because we, as New York state, have a really ambitious climate law in the books, the Climate Leadership and Community Protection Act. So New York state's Public Service Commission has been making some decisions that don't always seem in alignment with the climate law. Utilities are constantly looking to expand their gas infrastructure and we just won't be able to keep doing that if we're going to meet our climate law mandates and also start to get people away from fossil fuels heating their homes. So this legislation smartly tackles that. It gives utilities more flexibility in the um, energy options they have. So it doesn't give preference to gas. It also eliminates some subsidies that we give to gas right now. Uh, For example, if someone is looking to get hooked up to a a gas pipeline, uh, everyday ratepayers subsidize that cost. And that comes to a whopping $200 million per year. That's the so-called 100-foot rule? That's right. That's known as the 100-foot rule. If a building is within 100 feet of uh, existing infrastructure right now under current law, they get a free hookup, but it's not free. People like you and I and your listeners are paying for that. Uh, so that this legislation get rid of that, along with another number of other things. Uh, and the other really key feature to the standalone bill 
but is not in the governor's version is a cap on utility bills. Well, uh, she does She does talk about a $50 million fund for, I guess, low-income consumers if they participate in NYSERDA's program to, you know, all electrify their, their buildings, um, that that would be capped at 6% of the income. How close is that to what's in the, you know, actual New York Heat Act? That really doesn't get at what the Heat Act is trying to do. So that's not to knock. Um, the program you're referring to is known as Empower Plus. It's for low to moderate income households that electrify. Um, that's good. But really what we're trying to do is protect consumers that can't afford right now to get away from the gas system. People are starting to switch their homes off of gas, those that can afford to do so. And that means there's gonna be fewer people left on the gas system. That means it's gonna start costing more for those people who are left behind. And it already costs way too much. Gas is super volatile in prices. So we're trying to protect those people while also giving utilities tools so they can shift those people away from gas eventually too. So we've gone about the halfway point here. So let's get to a couple of other issues. One of the seems to be a big disappointment is that the governor is actually, I guess, proposing to cut in half the amount of funding that the state provides annually uh, for water infrastructure improvements. So she does make reference to perhaps more dollars coming from the federal level. What's what's going on with the governor on that proposal? Yeah, this is a profound disappointment. So the governor has proposed cutting water funding in half. So every year since 2017, New York State has had the Clean Water Infrastructure Act. And this is a really important set of funding programs that goes to everything towards the pipes that bring us our clean drinking water, uh, treat, uh, drinking water and wastewater treatment facilities, uh, addressing toxic chemicals like PFAS. We're really familiar with that here in the capital region. Uh, addressing lead service lines, and so much more. Uh, that fund has received $500 million every year since 2017. This year, the governor is proposing only $250 million. To provide some context, water needs in New York State are absolutely tremendous. It's been estimated we're going to need to invest at least $80 billion over the next 20 years. That's a huge ticket, and that doesn't cover everything the Clean Water Infrastructure Act is set to cover. Uh, so New Yorkers are going to pay the price if this cut is what makes it into the final budget. Now, what 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 is the federal dollars coming in? Is that going to help offset? But you're you're also saying that basically we need about four billion dollars a year over the next uh, twenty years, even with the federal funding, that would still be short. Yeah, you know, frankly, the federal funding should be reason for the state to invest more. Um, you know, there's going to be new drinking water standards for PFAS coming from the federal government soon. Uh, the federal government has finalized a lead and copper rule that's going to mandate all lead service lines get replaced. So actually, things happening at the federal level are all the more reason for the state to step up and show leadership especially given how large New York State's needs are. And also as a state, we've historically taken great pride in the quality of our drinking water. So to not invest in that is totally counter to the values of New Yorkers. 
Now, we only got about two minutes left. Um, you know, I've been reading these budget beeping books literally for 50 years, and I can't remember so few pages being devoted to the environment and the energy. Um, it just doesn't seem like this is a major priority this year for Governor Hochul. Yeah, I, I would agree. This was really concerning. You know, the governor gave her state of the state address um, a couple weeks ago and early January and climate change got mentioned maybe once in passing. Um, you know, to not talk about climate change in such a major stage is disappointing. Um, and then this budget really doesn't reflect the urgency of the crisis. Um, NY heat is really important. We'll be super excited to push for that this year. We want to see it in the final, but overall, we need to be doing way more in terms of funding, in terms of policies uh, to meet the moment and protect New Yorkers. In the last though, 40 seconds, is there one or two really pet issues you're hoping for that's not on the table yet? Yes, there's legislation that's known as green transit, green jobs. It would mandate the purchases of zero emission buses for public transit fleets starting in 2029. This is a common sense move. Uh, well, that legislation should make it in the final budget. Well, thank you very much. We've been talking with uh, Liz Moran of Earth Justice, and this has been Mark Dunley for the Hudson Mohawk Magazine. In the year 2023 was the warmest year uh, since global records began in 1850 at 1.18 Celsius above the 20th century average of 13.9 degrees Celsius. Uh, just something to keep in mind as we discuss how this climate keeps on changing. We have many more stories about climate change and its impact on our community on our website, mediasanctuary.org. And next we turn to roaming labor correspondent Willie Terry's coverage of the Martin, Dr. Reverend Martin Luther King celebration in Troy, which took place at the Troy Boys and Girls Club uh, with the NAACP and Team Hero sponsoring it. This is part one. Thank you so much. It's great to be here at the uh, Boys and Girls Club and to be able to thank everybody for bringing us together in celebration of the life and legacy of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Um, as we all know, he was one of those icons of the uh, freedom movement as he took the uh, efforts to Washington in that famous 1963 I Have a Dream speech. And Martin's dream still inspires us and challenges us because as we've seen, there have been forces that want to take us backward. And what did Mark, Dr. King always say? You know, walk, you know, run if you can, run, walk if you can't walk, crawl, always go forward. Yeah. And so we need, as to meet the challenge, to always go forward and never go backward. I work with forces in Washington in some voices that do want to take back us backward. They want to undo diversity, they want to do undo inclusion, they want to undo equality programming. And we say no. No. We're going to go forward because Dr. King's message was about all of us. With all of our difference, all of our diversity, we are one people, one community, one nation, loving one another. Loving one another. So it's great to be here and watch the young people lead us in prayer, in message, in song. 
that enable us to continue that legacy of hope. Uh, we need Martin's message more than ever. And I'll conclude with this. His was always an effort to move forward in nonviolent ways. But nonviolence does not mean silence. We need to speak up, stand up, and fight for all that is right for this country. A forcefulness, but with kindness and love, but a forceful message of change and reform so that all are given equal opportunity. Thank you, one and all. It's great to hear your voice. Nonviolence doesn't mean silence. Nonviolence doesn't mean silence. So even when you're silent on an issue, you don't understand, you're still speaking. You're saying something even when you're silent. So nonviolence doesn't mean silence. And I just want to highlight one more thing that Congressman Tonko pointed out and Brother Malik pointed out earlier. I want to give it up for all the youth that are in the building this morning. Y'all give it up for the youth. Because like Brother Malik pointed out, without the youth, there is no future. And I'm going to go ahead and hand it off. We're going to get our program on the road. You're going to see some pretty amazing performances, speeches, songs, presentations. There's a lot of that going on this afternoon, all right? So get, re get yourself relaxed. Hopefully you got enough to eat. Not enough to eat to get the itis. Now, if you start dozing off, somebody gonna throw some water on you or something. I know Steve, he hooked us up. Y'all give it up for Steve and that food one more time. Thank you. Thank you for the meal. And we're gonna go over to our very first um, performance for this afternoon, Miss Shanila Carter. Michael King. Dr. King wanted to be a fireman when he grew up. He skipped grades 9 and 11 before he went to Morehouse College. He was the first black person to be named the Time Person of the Year Award. When Dr. King was little, he took piano lessons from his mother. How is Dr. King a famous person? Well, Dr. King, I have a dream and the letter from Birmingham jail are the most famous speeches from Dr. King. Who helped Dr. King be famous to this day? Well, a lot of people helped. While Dr. King was protesting, he, he had a lot of support from Jackie Robinson, Sammy Davis, Harry Belmonte, and Aretha Franklin, and more. Those people supported Dr. King helped make things right. And today, we are here to celebrate the life and the legacy of Dr. Martin Luther King. Happy birthday. Happy birthday. Excellent, excellent. And it was pointed out this Friday at our NAACP Youth Council meeting, plug, 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 plug. NAAC Youth Council, we meet here at the Boys and Girls Club every, every second and third Friday of the month. So if you're interested in being involved in civil rights and the movement, um, you can come here 
6 o'clock on Fridays, on the second and the third Friday of the month. We're a part of family night. You can come here and be involved. But it was pointed out at our meeting on Friday that we celebrate Dr. King's birthday, but this is the, this, on this, this one, this occasion, it actually fell on his actual birthday because today is the 15th. So that's an amazing fact. We just, you know, thank God for that. I'm gonna go ahead and get ready for our next presentation. And I'm gonna call up uh, Miss Shania Jackson, who is one half of our NAACP Youth Council. Thank you. Good afternoon. Oh, that was so weak. Good afternoon. My name is Shania Jackson, woman of many hats. First and foremost, I am a third generation Troy native, daughter of Eddie Jackson and Doris Jackson, and granddaughter of Susie Holmes, in case you know any of them, you know my family. I am a member of United Ordained Church of God in Christ, and for NACP, I am the Secretary, Education Chair, and Co-Youth Council Advisor. I currently teach at Troy Prep, um, Cape Troy Prep Elementary School. We do a lot of time, we take a lot of time, myself included, talking. We don't take a lot of time to listen. So as I share some things I've written, and some things other people have written, I want you to take some time to truly listen. Not just hear for friends who are staring at your phone, that means not looking at your phone either, but actually take some time to listen and see, are you learning? I have learned over the years, as an educator, as an activist, as a community member, as a person, I have learned that this world is loud and messy and dangerous and godless and depressing and scary. But the one thing that all humans use to calm the winds, to hush the waves, to cause the tornadoes to cease is stories. Stories have power, Dr. Halo Duke said, state president of NAACP New York State Conference. Stories are your weapon. Use them wisely, use them well. Leon Russell said, chairman of the National NAACP Board of Directors. A story can move mountains. Let's help people tell theirs. Ms. Renee Powell said, president of NAACP Troy Branch. None of these were exact quotes verbatim, but their blessings left with me, their lessons from their lessons and their stories. When a child can't fall asleep at night, their mind tossing and turning from the turmoil their brain is creating, what do we do? We sit them down, hold them tight, and tell them a story. A story of power and might that shows that they are strong, loved, and protected. When we come home from a long day at work, overstimulated and exhausted, what do we do? We turn on the TV, find Netflix or Hulu or Crunchyroll or even the news, and we listen to a story. Watch the journey of others, whether fictional or factual, praying to either escape from our journey for a moment or find the strength to continue through. When we have holy fellowship, 
gathering in our Sunday's best, holding the world's weight on our shoulders, knowing it wasn't ours to hold anyway, but still keeping it just to throw on the altar at Jesus' feet. What do we do? We sit in our pews, holy weapons in hand, and prepare to hear stories. Ready to provide a symphony of hallelujahs and amens over the story God felt most pertinent to touch your ears and heart that morning. Holding on to each word from the preacher, each syllable in the Bible, every phony you can capture, and praying you don't forget the light that God has allowed others to endure, and then record on pen and paper just so you could have their story. Stories are powerful. Stories are real. Our world starts and stops based on what stories we tell. To who? When? How we use them. What power we allow them to wield, if we allow them to wield power. What's your story? What stories have you listened to? Have you told your story? What stories do you choose to retell? Have you used any of the stories that you know? How long will it be until you realize that the story you tell, the story you hear, the story you use, just may be the story that changes the world? And that was part one. For the following parts of this series, uh, you can check them out on our Hudson Mohawk magazine. And once they've all aired, you can find them on themediasanctuary.org. That event was hosted by the Troy NAACP and Team Hero. For those of you just tuning in, I'm Sina Bazilahickey. And I'm Vinny Damapolito. You're listening to the Hudson Mohawk Magazine on the Hudson Mohawk Radio Network on WOOCLP 105.3 FM Troy, WOOGLP 92.7 FM Troy, W-O-O-S-L-P, 98.9 FM Schenectady, and W-O-O-A-L-P, 106.9 FM Albany, and streaming online at themediasanctuary.org. This program comes from the Sanctuary for Independent Media in Troy, New York. And now, Donnie Skipper is an online activist and digital creator who focuses on tenant issues and exposes bad landlords. His content tells stories of bad living conditions and legal resources and puts names and faces to the housing administration and landlords. Donnie Skipper joins us now. Welcome to the Hudson Mohawk Magazine. Hey, can you hear me? Yes, we can hear you. Hey, sorry about that, everyone. My uh, my Zoom kind of crashed. The audio crashed on me. Literally right as I was trying to unmute. So I had to quickly like set the settings on my phone so that it accessed the microphone. But it's all good. We can hear each other. Oh, yeah. And you, you were quick on that. You you quickly recovered from it. So th- I guess they, you could say I'm a tech guy, I guess, maybe. <laughs> Something like that. Beautiful. Yeah. yeah. So, um, yeah, let me know whatever you guys want to talk about. I'm happy to be here. Happy to talk about. You know, that what's going on here in the Capitol District and across the country. I mean, really, everywhere, this housing crisis is unbelievable. And we all just want to do something about it, don't we, right? Oh, absolutely. So I was wondering, how do you find the landlords that you kind of highlight? Yeah, so right now, actually, um, I I have a lot of people uh, who are following that submit the landlords. Um, The way I kind of look at it is, uh, you know, this. This platform is kind of this Donnie Skipper platform is like a vehicle for voices of other people that, you know, really 
you know, are having a hard time getting their stories out there because, you know, in my, in my kind of, you know, project that I'm doing, I'm finding there's a lot of, uh, uh, ways that, you know, information is not getting out to the public on what's happening in our communities. And, uh, you know, if I could kind of offer that space to others, you know, that's pretty cool. So, um, you know, a lot of people reach out from in the capital district, but then from all over the place, you know, so I kind of like, you know, I'm, I'm able with my time, the, the time that I have, I'm able to dedicate one video approximately a week. I try and do two. Uh, usually I'm able to do them in the weekends and throughout the week, I'm getting submissions and I'm trying to find the ones that, you know, have the information that's vettable. You know, I vet the information and find, check the sources, you know, the, the, any, any videos also that, that specifically don't identify the individual that's submitting the information. That's really important. So, um, as well. So there's, there's all those factors that go into it, but the volume of submissions are getting is really, really large. And it's, you know, it's only right now myself and my wife that are kind of, you know, working on this project. We got like oh, wow. some other friends and we have a, a, an attorney buddy who's, you know, been helping us out as well. Um, so, you know, there, there's, we keep it fewer cooks in the kitchen, but because of that, you know, sometimes, you know, that's, that's why I kind of only are able to really produce one or two a week, but, but they, it still seems to be making an impact and that's really what's important. Right. Absolutely. And Vinny and I have seen your content and many of our listeners may have seen your content, but for those who haven't, could you describe uh, your format and just a little bit, give a little bit uh, of a loop the other people in? Yeah, of course. So I've been making videos on the internet for a little while now. Um, and I've been doing like this point of view style. Um, and what happened was, let's see, at this point, it was like two years ago around that I was experiencing issues with my own landlord. And, you know, anytime you're experiencing issues with your landlord, it's important that you communicate with your landlord. It's important that you also document that communication with your landlord. And uh, I was doing that when I was at my luxury apartment complexes that, you know, those they like to market themselves. Um, and what happened was, uh, you know, after, after I was, uh, there were a lot of health and safety violations that were bringing to attention. Um, and I was documenting all of it. I was videoing all of it. And it just so happened I was also shooting it all in like first person perspective. So it kind of matched with the videos I was making anyway. Um, so yeah, I, that I started my own exposing my own landlord. And uh, around that time, you know, the virus, the series started really kind of picking off. Um, and then, uh, yeah, and then now I'm just doing it for other people. So that's, that's kind of uh, where I'm at. I don't have a landlord at right now after uh my previous uh, apartment I, I was able to get my own home so now i can burn the bridge with every single landlord there is out there um i i still gotta be careful with the banks though that's for sure <laughs> uh never green statement if there ever, ever was one <laughs> fair so, enough yep <laughs> have uh have you noticed any trends in the issues that tenants are facing these days yeah so it's it's really unfortunate the trends with like with mold and with like, you know, like, uh, landlords working with different, uh, parts of the, um, you know, the government or, you know, code enforcement or different functions to seemingly, it seems that way, at least, you know, uh, to, to, to protect the landlords and, uh, and take away, you know, the, the power from the tenants and putting them in a situation where a lot of them are living in homes that are really unsafe for them. And I've seen it 
already between the Harbor Point Garden situation and now currently ongoing with the Parkview tenants, you know, and Parkview apartments where we've got, uh, you know, and I've been to both of these complexes and, you know, I've seen really like, like crazy stuff. And, you know, um, I put them in the videos, you know, the Harbor Point Gardens in Troy is absolute was, was absolutely absurd what I documented. And, uh, you know, I'm still getting messages from tenants there that, uh, you know, with, with, with information, but it's, you know, it's difficult to get it all out and stuff, but, uh, but yeah, that, so it's, that's, that's, that's kind of one thing that I'm noticing a lot and it's really concerning. And, and what's happening also is it's a lot of elderly, it's a lot of disabled people, it's a lot of veterans, it's a lot of, you know, poor people that are in situations where, where they can't move other places really, really easily. But that, that it's also happening in luxury apartment complexes and, and like, it's just, it, everybody, it's happening everywhere across the board. And it seems that, uh, you know, there's, there's really no regulation or oversight, uh, that's, that's keeping things in check right now. We, uh, Hudson Magazine has covered the, some of the Harbor Point gardens. Um, I think we may have spoken with some tenants at Parkview. It's, there have been more than a couple deaths. Is that right? So it's not just unhealthy living conditions. It's like deadly. Could you talk a little bit about just how extreme, I think sometimes we forget like what that, how extreme something can get. Yep. Exactly. So one uh, one thing that I can say when I went to Parkview Apartments, I spoke to a tenant who uh, showed me uh, their do- do- notes from their doctor that uh, confirmed the presence of blood uh, mold in her blood, and it was that conversation was really really heart wrenching. And this this woman is in a situation where she can't move, and she lives there with her young son as well. And she's got that that she's living with. And that like I walked out and like that was that like so, so heavy. And those are the kind of conversations that if you talk with tenants in these types of complexes with these absentee landlords all over the capital district, all over the country, that those are just one example of the type of stories. There's so many of them. And that's what keeps me going. It's like every time like. You know, every every time uh, I think that it's it's gotten the worst that I've seen it, I see something else, and people aren't ta- like you know, people are talking about it. There are, but like it's not getting the attention that it should be getting, and that's what keeps me going. Yeah. So <clears throat> I was wondering, uh, have you faced any backlash from highlighting all these bad landlords or anything like that? Yeah, I I think a lot of the bad landlords. Uh, I, I I don't I haven't really. <laughs> um, I think they know maybe maybe they're smart enough to know of the Streisand effect. And, uh, you know, the one time that I did get a notice of non-renewal served by my previous landlord uh, in my situation, I posted that video and it got like, you know, dozens of millions of views uh, across <laughs> multiple platforms. So, like, you know, I could they could try, uh, you know, but uh, we'll see what happens, I guess. We have so many more questions, but we're quickly running out of time. And so in the last minute or so, what power do tenants have? And for listeners who are uh, want to take action from, from what they're listening to, what are some ways to do that? Yep. So uh, know your tenants' rights. That is definitely the big thing right there. And get familiar with them as well. And uh, also be aware of the groups uh, in your area 
that are fighting for the tenants. And, uh, you know, in, in the Albany area, we've got United Tenants of Albany um, across the Hudson Valley. We've got so many great groups um, and uh, you just get familiar with them. But also, you know, um, again, if you're having an experience with your bad landlord, um, it is important to communicate and to document. That's that's very important. Now, I'm not a lawyer. I'm not an attorney or anything like that. But in those situations, it's also important to to look around and you know secure, see one, get an attorney for yourself. There's legal services in New York, the Legal Aid Society, if you can qualify for that. And then there's also uh, pro bono or low bono attorneys. That's a term that I came or I didn't come <laughs> up with that. I heard that recently. Um, so there's that as well. Um, you know, there's there's uh, all that information that's out there, but uh, start with your tenants' rights and knowing that and being really familiar with that. Donnie Skipper, we really appreciate you joining us. Perhaps we can have you on again if you'll have us. And um, I guess Donnie Skipper, you are on Instagram and TikTok. And where yep. else can we find you? Instagram, uh, TikTok. Although ever since I started posting about the bad landlords, the TikTok algorithm hasn't been too forgiven to me. But the Instagram <laughs> one, you know, they 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 like it. But um, then also I'll post on Reddit too. Although they're a real tough bunch, I'll tell you what. Um, and then uh, what I what's the other the Twitter X? I don't. I'm not. I'm not on that. I think I made an account at one point, but <laughs> but I don't use it. So. Well, we really appreciate you joining us. Thank you so much. All right. Thank you so much as well. I really appreciate the time. Y'all have a great day, rest of your night. You too. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. All right. Uh, have you been wondering uh, what to read next? Well, here are some book recommendations from Ian Hayek of the Troy Public Library. This is Bria Barthel for Hudson Mohawk Magazine, and I am back at Troy Public Library with Ian Hauk, the current... Uh, head of Adult Services and Reference Services. Ian, welcome back to Hudson Mohawk Magazine. Thank you for having me. And it looks like you've got four interesting books for us this time. Tell us about the books. Uh, so first we have Alien Worlds, How Insects Conquered the Earth and Why Their Fate Will Determine Our Future by Steve Nichols. This is uh, for all the big insect heads out there and arthropods. Um, this book is packed with the facts of the insect world and how they interact with the environment. And um, for the beginning, this was helpful to me because I uh, do not know so much about insects myself, but it does have the orders of the insects and a insect family tree right at the beginning of the, of the book. So you have... Um, something you can reference back to. It also has a really fascinating timeline of uh, the insect uh, life going all back through prehistory. Um, now, this is full of facts and scientific writing, but in a readable way. It's not just giving you facts about each book, uh, insect and uh, the group they're in. But it's uh, full of photographs, full of great information, about the in insects and arthropods. It does have some crab groups in there and scorpions, um, really talking about how they become part of the main base of all the food chains that do lead all the way back up to us humans. Somehow this reminds me of seeing cookies that when I was at RPI that had, uh, I think, cockroaches on them or something. Uh, yes, there are places in the world where, yep, uh, insects are part of the diet. 
The pictures are incredible. It's about the third page in, there's a double page spread of an insect's head and antenna. And there's many pictures throughout. This looks like a really interesting book. And, you know, a little scary if we think about it beyond the pictures to how insects determine our future. Uh, yes, it uh, is wide ranging. And then when you start to think of the numbers, um, so this is really for the big insect fans out there. Um, uh, good book for you. Okay, very cool. And now we're shifting topics a little bit back to humans. Well, not back to, but to humans. What's the next book? Uh, so the next book is Invisible Generals, Rediscovering Family Legacy and the Quest to Honor America's First Black Generals by Doug Melville. Uh, Doug Melville, the author, is actually the descendant of uh, General Benjamin O. Davis Sr., who was uh, important to the Tuskegee Airmen um, during uh, their uh, first run and during the Second World War. And why this book came about is because when the movie Red Tails came out, he was excited to see the legacy that his, uh, his family had had in helping to establish that. But then was a little dis then was disappointed when the name got changed in the movie to um, another, uh, just another name. Um, and obviously, he was told by the movie makers, "Well, it's like not a documentary; it's an amalgamation." So then he just took that as the as the point. It was like, "All right, then I'll tell the story of my family and um, not just my family, but the history of the many people of color." that have contributed uh, to the mil military in this country uh, through some rough times and through some good times um, in, in our history. And uh, even to the point where his, um, his grandfather, Benjamin O. Davis Jr., has actually in um, 2017 had a barracks named after him at the um, military academy at West Point. Wow, very impressive. When I first saw the title, just glancing at the spine, I thought, like, these are military people that put on an invisibility cape, which seems like it would be a military advantage. But it sounds like a much more important story, and it's a, it's a nonfiction family history. Yes. Um, when it comes to the topic, uh, invisible being, when we think of the generals in our history, if some of us might think of Grant, Patton, MacArthur, um, this is just filling in a gap of, you know, uh, generals that we haven't, haven't heard of before. And given the long history of our military, um, there are generals, um, of all, of all races that we just don't know too much about. Sounds great. Certainly two very different topics. And now we are switching yet again. So, so now we're going from nonfiction to fiction, I assume? Yes. Um, so I wanted to start the year off with uh, something a little lighter and brighter. Um, so I started off with uh, The Fraud Squad. Uh, this is written by uh, Kayla Zhao. Um, it's about a writer. Uh, her name is Samantha Song. She lives in Singapore, but she comes from like a lower middle class family where she's trying to help her mother even just uh, scrape by for the day. But she has always aspired to uh, 
be a writer and be in the circles of the Singaporean high life. So with her, the help of her friend and uh, what came to be a romantic interest, um, Timothy, she begins to wear nicer dresses, go to the big events in the city, and uh, begin to enter those circles, hoping to get a job at a uh, esteemed journal so that she can become the writer she always hoped to be. Um, I will admit it was not the book I thought I was getting when I went into it. I thought there was going to be like a intentional fraud, uh, not so much a uh, not so much a romance. We're just faking it till we make it type fraud. Um, but it was still a fun, light read with all the glamour of um, kind of like the Crazy Rich Asians. Uh, style. If you were interested in that, you you would probably enjoy this as well. It's funny because I was just thinking about that movie, which I've never seen, but the cover has um, a man and two women looking very upscale, glamorous, we shall say. Yes. Um, so this is very much a uh, kind of a romance story wrapped up in a fake it till you make it uh, way of doing things. Okay. Three very different topics, and now here's another one. Uh, so for my last book here, I brought it back to the usual Ian tone of a, kind of a darker mystery. It's The Heavens May Fall by Alan Eskins. Um, the Heavens May Fall, you uh, have two friends, uh, Detective Max Rupert and um, attorney Bodie Saden. Uh, they are both involved in the investigation of the murder of Genevieve Pruitt. Um, now, uh, Max firmly believes that uh, he has his man, that the husband is guilty, and that he is bringing justice. But uh, Bodie, his friend, um, is not so convinced. And both of them are bringing their pasts into this case. Um, Max has actually had his wife died four years earlier in this book, so he's bringing a lot of his his emotional baggage into this case about a wife who was murdered and suspecting the husband and all the things that he went through uh, earlier on in his life. But then uh, Bodhi Saden, the attorney defending the husband, is also bringing in his own baggage because uh, he sees a reflection in this defendant who he has not defended anyone in a very long time. He's seeing in the defendant similarities to one of his first clients where he had a losing defense for this uh, client and it resulted in his client having the death penalty. Whoa, that certainly sticks with you. So... Those books, again, are Alien Worlds, Invisible Generals, Fraud Squad, and The Heavens May Fall. Once again, you have surprised me by not having any anime. Uh, it's been slower adding to the collection right now, but we have been keeping up with the series that I have uh, mentioned before. And that's especially disappointing because I've counted on you to introduce me to anime, and I understand this is... Your last episode at Troy Public Library with us. What's happening? Um, so I will be um, accepting another position um, in in the uh, the area. So I'm still going to be in the Upper Hudson system, just not here at good old Troy Public Library. Well, I'm glad we got to talk with you before you leave. Thanks a lot, Ian. Thank you. And for more information, the website for Troy Public Library is? TheTroyLibrary.org. 
Thanks a lot. This is Bria Barthel for Hudson Mohawk Magazine. Uh, more book suggestions from Bria, and I believe there's another one on its way. You can find more book suggestions from our local library, thetroylibrary.com, um, at our website, mediasanctuary.org. And make sure that library card's up to date. <laughs> Coming to MPAC this Friday, January 19th, is Poetry and Fairy Tale with Conrad Tao. Uh, to tell us more, we are now joined by MPAC's music curator, Amadeus Julius uh, Julian Ragusera. Welcome. Hi, it's great to be here. Thanks for having me. Uh, so what is uh, Poetry and Fairy Tale about? Um, so Conrad Tao is an amazing pianist. Uh, of the younger generation really um, is actually an excellent curator um, himself. He uh, puts together, he crafts these programs that really combined uh, kind of provocative uh, contemporary works with work from the Western classical canon. And so for this program, he was really inspired by poetry and fairy tale. Um, he actually didn't really have a title for this, and so we, when we were talking, he told me that he was inspired by those two things, and I'm like, well, that's the title of the show. <laughs> um, but yeah, so for this program, um, for the poetry side, he's really taken, um, so he's, for me, one of the highlights is uh, Maurice Ravel's uh, Gaspard de la Nuit, which is... Um, in the classical repertoire, one of the most ferocious, um, exciting, and um, he tells me terrifying pieces. Um, it's it's gorgeous uh, piece from early mid twentieth century French, um, and it was. Um, I'm looking up the, just I want to say it correctly, but the um, the poet uh, who wrote the poems after who after which uh, Ravel uh, wrote the piece is named uh, Aloysius Bertrand. Um, and so some of the pieces, like there's a piece by British composer Rebecca Saunders, who uh, her piece is called Mirror, Mirror on the Wall, and obviously that's a reference to Snow White. Um, and so there's your fairy tale, but uh, Bernadette Meyer, Meyer, Bernadette Meyer, the poet, uh, wrote a piece, uh, "Leg of Lamb," which it was kind of the started off as the through line for this for this um, for this program. And Todd Moellenberg wrote a piece called "Leg of Lamb" after Bernadette Meyer, which um, is actually being woven through uh, another favorite piece of mine in the classical repertoire, Brahms' uh, Opus One Eighteen, Intermezzi. Um, so it's going to be an exciting program. Uh, I just came from MPAC where, um, Conrad is rehearsing right now and it sounds amazing. So I hope everyone will come out for that. So you're referencing a lot of really important pieces. I personally don't have a classical music vocabulary. Uh, would, who's the audience for? Am I, would I under, you know, do I need to know all these references to, yeah. kind of come along with the performance. So I am also a composer, and uh, I write what some may call kind of obtruse and like esoteric, thorny music. 
but the the feedback that I get from audiences, um, and this includes my parents who are not musical, and my dad jokes that my music is above his pay grade for understanding. <laughs> um, but the impact, the sort of like physical impact of this music um, is what I think is the biggest takeaway for audiences. Um, of course, there's like, there's lyricism, beautiful melodies. The Brahms is just gorgeous. Um, and I love the Rebecca Saunders piece. Um, actually studied a bit with her um, when I was in Paris. But um, yeah, you don't need to know. I mean, that's a, that's a fantastic thing about music as, as, as far as an art form. You don't need to know anything. You, I think if you have open ears, are willing to listen and allow the music to kind of just hit you. Or, you know, you can luxuriate in it, you can sort of, um, you know, it, it allows you to have whatever experience you want with it. Um, I don't think it has much to do with intellect at all, actually. Nice. I, it's always good to be able to appreciate vibes but when you when you get a reference it'll make those vibes just hit a bit harder i imagine yeah i mean and so um <laughs> my my partner is very into uh taking in secondary secondary um media about some like a movie or a book or something afterwards and i think that's not me. I like to know like a plot of a movie going in, for instance, and I like to know <laughs> about the historical references of a piece of music going in. But th that's because I'm overeducated. But um, yeah, I mean, you. I think an audience can come to this not knowing anything, you know, have the experience, and then afterwards really kind of um, dig in um, with you know the background of the composer and how and why it was written and things like that. So when I was looking at the page on the Impact website, I noticed that he's barefoot. And you mentioned something like provocative, I think maybe was the term you used earlier. What <laughs> what can we know about the the pianist and uh, uh who, yeah. yeah. Conrad's a Conrad's super chill. Uh I mean Conrad is uh you know, he was playing concertos when he was fourteen. He went to Juilliard, um, very sharp, very, very smart. Um, extremely virtuosic. Um, when you're hanging out with him, it's it's always a good time. Um, I only met him officially. We'd been sort of following each other on Instagram for a while, but we met officially um, last summer. And a handful of times we hung out, I've had a good time. Um, when you get an artist like that in their element, they almost become a completely different person in, in the best way, oftentimes, at least the ones that I know. <laughs> um, and they transform into these sort of, um, I don't know, For he's practicing so he can't hear me, um, kind of just like these, you know, kind of fantastical creatures. You know, they become channels for these, like, outrageous sounds. And um, it's just incredible to watch. You'd think like, oh, I've seen someone play the piano. Certain performers like Conrad, you, this is more than watching someone play the piano. So we only have about two minutes left, but I, you are been with MPAC as the music creator, curator for one and a half years now. Yeah. So what has, uh, could you tell us a little bit about you? You mentioned your 
over education, but also your like <laughs> extensive knowledge of music. So could you tell us a little bit about yourself, Amadeus? Uh, yeah, so um, I moved here from California, from the Bay Area in Oakland uh, in September of 2022. Um, I'm a composer. Uh, I was an educator. Uh, I taught at UC Berkeley as uh, adjunct faculty and I did my PhD there. But um, yeah, so uh, had had my music performed widely, um, you know, trying trying to make it, trying not trying to make it, but like just trying to create, try, trying to continue to create. Um, big part of the, I felt like I was a part of the community back in San Francisco, and I'm excited to try to find my place in the community, in the arts community here. Um, it's a little easier because I'm at MPAC. <laughs> um, and, you know, um, yeah, it's it's uh, it's just I'm grateful to be here. And um, it's, it's a great place to be able to um, share my knowledge, but also share the the art that I think um, that I mean, great art. I, 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 I mean, stuff I like, I guess, but like. I get to share that with other people, um, and that's exciting to me. Yeah. Uh, out of curiosity, um, what would you say? Like, how similar are the scenes from the Bay Area to the Capital Area? <laughs> uh, you know, I mean, it's it's actually I wasn't I wasn't sure how it would translate, but there are a lot of like music heads in the Capital Region, and you know, mm -hmm. at the top of the Hudson, you know, and I'm fine and. Um, I'm finding some of my people here, so um, hoping to do more with that scene and that community as I uh, as I as I'm here. Nice. Thank you so much for joining us, and just uh, to repeat on that event at MPAC that is happening on Friday the 19th, 8 p.m. at the MPAC Concert Hall. That is Poetry and Fairy Tale with Conrad Tao. Amadeus, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. And that's our show. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of the Hudson Mohawk Magazine. I'm Sina Bazilahiki. And I'm Vinny Damapolito. Uh, we want to thank all our volunteers who made this episode possible. Today's contributors are... <laughs> Mark Dunley, <laughs> Willie Terry, and Bria Barthel. And we want to hear from you. You can find us on Instagram and Facebook at Hudson Mohawk Mag or send us an email to hmm at mediasanctuary.org. Tune in weekdays at 7 a.m., 9 a.m., and 6 p.m. to hear local news or stream Sanctuary Radio at mediasanctuary.org. Full episodes and individual stories are available on demand at our website and on your favorite podcast platform. Thanks to all our listeners for making this worthwhile. 